This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 7, Episode 4 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today is the fourth part in our series on Simon Pegg, looking at his work as a writer. And we're going to be talking about his third screenplay, which is Run, Fat Boy, Run. Indeed. This is a movie which came out... I guess it came out in the UK in 2007, but it came out in the US in 2008. Yeah, it was it, like March of 2008. I yeah. Think. It was uh, written initially by Michael Ian Black and then rewritten by Simon Pegg and directed by David Schwimmer. Simon Pegg stars along with Tandy Newton and Dylan Moran. I think it's the guy, is how you pronounce the guy's name. Yeah, I think so. And Hank Azaria. And it is, uh, yeah, it's it's came out in 2008, as we yes. said. So uh, uh, would, would you want to give a <laughs> sure, why not? synopsis? Guy, guy leaves his beautiful pregnant fiancé uh, on the wedding day, uh, runs away from the wedding, uh, goes into a lifetime of uh, just sort of like a pathetic life. He's sort, he's almost sort of an Al Bundy character. Um, like he's working as a security guard, but it's very much an Al Bundy vibe. Um, and he's irresponsible, and he isn't leading a particularly good life, but then he snaps out of it because his former fiance is now uh, cozied up with Hank Azaria's uh, wealthy and successful and intelligent character who wants to whisk her and his son away and so he buckles down and he says he's going to run the it's not the london marathon because they couldn't get the rights it's the nike river run or something like that yeah and so that's a marathon that he's going to run in to prove that he can see something to the finish and that's the premise of the movie exactly um yeah it's it's very similar in a lot of ways thematically to Peg's other movies you know the sort of man child who mm. has never grown up and yeah. you know everyone else in his life has moved on and he's getting left behind and he decides that it's time to uh take a stand for what's right and step up to the occasion step up to the streets and <laughs> and uh you know do this thing become an adult yes by training for and running in a marathon in 3 weeks which i can assure anybody listening is not possible you will you no it's not it well okay maybe with the way the movie ends spoiler alert he doesn't die um maybe with how long it takes the 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 task to be completed in the movie okay i'll buy it but yeah no you're not going to like post and because okay how how spoiler driven do we want to be because i i want to get right to the thing that absolutely drove me nuts okay let's it. just say right here if you haven't seen run fat boy run we're going to spoil it yes Although, we are 
let's just say before that, though, I guess, not to dissuade anyone from watching the movie, but spoilers, it's not very good. That's true. Okay. That is the ultimate. That's a very key spoiler to give right there, I would say. <laughs> so yeah. that way you don't have to worry about like n- not listening to this if you th- were on the fence and thought that maybe this was like cinema gold or something or fried gold, as they might say. Right. Well, this, you know what? This is not like uh, Psycho where we were like, stop what you're doing and go and watch it. Just just keep listening. We're good. Yeah, just we're keep good. listening. Yeah. You so, know, you'll know exactly what happens in this movie as soon as yeah. you start it. So anyway, so he he completes the marathon in, in I forget what the time is, but it's like twelve hours and something something minutes or whatever. And the the fact that I'm nitpicking it, I think, is more a testament to the fact that the movie I had absolutely zero in like uh, investment in it by the end. But they have like cutoff times for marathons and everything, so they're sitting here forcing this. <laughs> this feel-good story and everything, and I'm so just intellectually not invested in anything that's going on, it's driving me nuts because I'm like, no, they would have closed down the course and kicked him off by this point. Like, they wouldn't let him continue going on. Like, it's not possible for this ending to exist, and that bothers me. But the thing is, if I'd enjoyed the movie a great deal up to that point, that gets forgiven. And I'm like, ah, you know, that's not how real life is. But the fact that I didn't enjoy the movie up to that point, I'm sitting there through the whole sequence that's supposed to be moving me. That's supposed to be me cheering him on and saying, yeah, right. He's not going to give up. And instead I'm sitting there saying, this is, this is malarkey. This doesn't happen. You know, okay. I think that this is sort of, uh, maybe the, here's a middle ground, which, you know, you might be able to accept it on. Okay. Well, okay. they would have shut down the race and everything like that. I mean, it's still kind of like a public street, you know, I mean, they're not going to kick him off. And I don't know. I, I keep on thinking there's this, uh, story, which, well, I, I, I never actually read the article, but, um, you know, you know, Mitch album, the guy, yeah. He wrote Tuesdays with Maury and... Yeah, Five People You Meet in Heaven. And he's he also, uh, I mean, his day job at least was, uh, you know, he was a sports writer for the Detroit Free Press, I think. Yeah. And uh, he, I, I heard an interview with him one time, and he was talking about how uh, he was covering the Olympics, and it was like a track and field, you know, race or whatever. Okay. And uh, there was a guy who tripped and fell... And, you know, messed up his leg, whatever, couldn't, could barely walk, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's it was a short, a short distance race, you know, on the track. And, yeah. uh, you know, they run, what people fall all the time, whatever. It's like, oh, that guy fell. He wasn't like a contender or anything, really, you know. And, and uh, everyone sort of went on with their lives. And he, you know, is writing down his stuff for that, you know, whatever sports journalists do. And then he looks over and he sees this guy on the track after pretty much everyone has cleared off. And there's an older guy who he has his arm around and they're walking to the finish line. And he crosses the finish line and then, Mm -hmm. you know, leaves or whatever. So he's like, okay, what the hell just happened there? There's the story. Let me go track this guy down. And it turns out Mm -hmm. that, you know, it was his dad. And when his dad saw what happened, he was like, okay, this guy has spent his entire life, you know, my son has spent his entire life training for this race. He needs to finish. 
and he, you know, came down out of the stands or wherever he was and did it so that his son could say that he finished. Now, okay. I don't think that that technically counts. I, I don't know, because it, like then again, he was saying that, like, the reason why he did it was because, like, if you are disqualified, you're not, like, in the record books or something in the Olympics. But I, I have no idea. But then again, I, I don't know. I'm guessing it's against the rules to, like, have someone help you across. I, you know, I know Olympics rules even less than I know marathon <laughs> rules. But I can tell you that you, you mentioned, uh, you know, well, it's public roads and everything. Yeah, like they shut down things because you're running the wrong way on roads and stuff like that. And so just the listen, I know it's a silly thing for me to fixate on. So I'm going to walk away. I'm just going to be like, you know what? I'm just sort of harping I mean, on it just I, as an example of how little I cared by the time the movie ended. No, I mean, I definitely know what you're talking about. And certainly, you know, that happens to me, like, all the freaking time in, in movies, you know. I mean, I think everyone does that. When you know something yeah. about something, you're like, well, why? This doesn't make any sense. This is completely illogical. Like, Planet Terror and and Death Proof, the film damage in those movies has absolutely no correlation to any sort of film damage in the real world it drives me up the wall you know <laughs> and it should it should you know what i you know what i will learn to walk past it by saying i watched that god awful remake of day of the condor um uh, with bruce willis and richard oh, day, Gere. day of the jackal day of the jackal i'm sorry so, yeah, the, the yeah the remake was, of day of the jackal was called um, the jackal i think yes and uh, that the ending of that happens in uh, D.C. and the metro system that they run down to doesn't even have a passing resemblance to the D.C. metro. So, yeah, in terms of suspension of disbelief, it's not as bad as that. So, yeah. just if I if I had, if I had liked it more, but I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that I'm I'm sitting here, I'm hammering on the movie. <laughs> what was your reaction to the film? You know, when, when I first saw it, because I, I first saw it when it came out, um, I, I was a projectionist at the time complaining about this would have been right around the time because it had been about a year. So I was still complaining about the uh, the film damage and planet terror and, <laughs> and uh, death proof. And, you know, everyone was a Simon Pegg fan, you know, because because of the movies that we just watched. Yeah. And the idea that he had a new movie coming out, which looked like a cheesy romantic comedy, sort of was secondary next to the fact that not only was he starring in it and he's a funny guy but also that he had a hand in writing the script mm -hmm. so we were all super excited and we all you know watched it you know me and my my co-workers we all watched it when the print came in you know because we needed to screen it anyway and make sure that there wasn't anything wrong with it make sure it didn't have any planet terror like film damage <laughs> um but uh you know we were excited to watch it and sure. Uh, I came out of it thinking like, well, it is a formulaic romantic comedy, uh, but that's okay. You know, it worked for what it was. I'm, you know, not going to rush out and see it again, but I enjoyed watching it. So now, this is, uh, what, about uh, seven years later? This is the first time I have seen it since then. Mm -hmm. And it did not work for me nearly as well as it did back then, which wasn't okay. a whole lot. Um, the thing that, that struck me more than anything was, yeah, that the plot is paint by numbers and, you know, all that stuff and that's fine. But to me, the humor was the big problem. The jokes yes. 
fall so flat and there's it's yeah. so over the top and just almost like you know childish humor you know i mean like there's literally fart jokes in this movie yeah and it's just like none of this is funny and they're they're i mean it's not even like they tell a joke and you're like uh that's not funny like they go for it and they fail on a grand scale they do the (laughs) the only time they got a smirk out of me uh was the locker room scene uh, between him and Hank Azaria. Yeah. And that is because any anybody can relate to the idea of being in, uh, you know, guys can relate to the idea of being in a locker room and somebody uh, failing to have any sense of decorum about how they appear <laughs> in those moments. Yeah. And that, so that moment was captured and it was kind of like, <laughs> but that was about the most humor in the entire film for me. Uh, yeah, and it, it starts yeah. off, I mean, like, from the very first scene, like, I'm watching it, and I've got, like, my 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 7.1 sound system here, and I've got it turned up because the volume was rather low, and then he starts banging his head on the floor because he's, yes. like, very upset that he's going to have to get married right now, and he's not ready for this. To and, an extremely beautiful woman yeah, who Tandy apparently Newton. adores him. yeah. So there you go. But he's scared, you know, because he's scared to grow up, right? And he's, like, banging his head on the floor, and it was so loud. It sounded like, you know, (laughs) something out of the Matrix, you know? And and then they have the little visual cue where they're, like, looking up. The people below him are looking up at the ceiling because he's apparently banging his head so hard on the floor, even though that doesn't register when you actually see him do it. And you actually see, like, little like plaster dust fall mm-hmm. from the ceiling onto this guy's shoulder. And it's like, really? Come yeah. on. Is this, is this a cartoon? Like, is this right. straight up a cartoon? Yeah. I, and I, I think, I think that you're absolutely right that there are points where it goes over the top. And what's funny is I don't know specifically who wrote what or how much of a rewrite it was or whether he just tweaked certain scenes but there were certain moments where it felt like he was trying to be um, uh, Nick Frost mm-hmm. instead of Simon Pegg. You know, I, because he, in the two movies previous to this, he plays a certain, he plays the straight man, basically. Yeah. But then in this, it feels like they're putting him into the funny man role. And it feels, uh, it doesn't feel natural. It, it feels forced. And... Also, you know, with him doing uh, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, I almost wonder if that really worked. Him having his name on the script really works against him or the movie as a whole. Because, like you said, you look at it, it's like, oh, that looks like a formulaic romantic comedy. Maybe there's almost like a uh, subconscious expectation of, well, it's a formu- formulaic romantic comedy, but it's been given a twist by Simon Pegg. Because I've seen his previous work and I know what he does with genres. And he's going to somehow turn this on its head, and there's no, there's no turning of the head, turning anything on its head. There's just like you said, amping up the bits so that when he's banging his head, the plaster dust falls, and um, you know the weird uh, chasing the shoplifter uh, mm-hmm. sequence is just, it's just bizarre. I mean, you want to talk about like a, a quote unquote comedy bit where it's like. 
you don't even and you know I, I'll say also that the the movie's in trouble right from the get go when the uh, the shoplifter is calling him fat and he's saying I'm not fat I'm unfit and I'm looking at him in his costume and I'm like yeah I I don't get why this is called Run Fat Boy Run like maybe there's a little bit of paunch going on of like that anybody you know like an average person who's not particularly you know like blasting at the gym all the time is going to have but like. You know, I don't I don't see the justification for the title in the way that he looks like he doesn't even look substantially different from when he ran. Like if they had shown that, like he runs from the wedding and then he really falls off the wagon and he's drinking all the time and he's, you know, got like a big beer belly or something like that, whether it's a prosthetic or not, you know, like there's nothing to signify why the title is even that. Yeah, you know, I mean, he did, I guess he did have a bit of a prosthetic um, in at least some scenes in the movie, but like I remember, I, I can't remember the exact timing, but I, I'm pretty sure that he was like shooting this movie, or it was just about to come out when they were doing that hot fuzzful, you know. And I saw him like in person, and he's like, "I'm going to be in this movie, Run Fat Boy Run," and I'm looking at him, and I'm like, "You are the skinniest person on the face <laughs> of the earth." Like he is a, a little tiny guy, you know. And right. I'm like, well, "How are you doing that?" Um, and I, well, I read an interview which uh, is touching on a lot of things that, that we, we are kind of uh, speculating on here with the mm-hmm. other writer of, of the movie, Michael Ian Black. And, you know, in, in that he, he does say like, you know, they're like, OK, so they cast Simon Pegg and he's not fat. So what's the deal? And he's like, well, I never meant it to be like someone who was like morbidly obese or anything like that. It was supposed to be someone who was kind of out of shape, you know, and that's like a taunt, which is thrown at him, you know, which may or may not have, you know, you know, I mean, pretty much, you know, the, the, the way that Simon Pegg responds, it's, you know, he's right. You know, he's like, I'm not fat. I'm just out of shape, you know? And yeah, but they they were like they actually asked Michael Ian Black in that interview like who did you see like in the role and he's like well you know I guess the 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 number one casting choice would have been uh, Jack Black and he's like the other person I thought of who would be really good would be Philip Seymour Hoffman so that was what he was envisioning okay. when he was writing it was like Jack and I Black. could see that that sort of build yeah yeah working a lot better uh, for the film now. Now, when Michael Ian Black wrote it, I think it was originally wasn't it originally written for the Los Angeles Marathon, it, and then I, it, like a know, UK production company grabbed it, right? Yeah, I, I read that too. I think that that was wrong. I think it was originally written for New York, because in okay. this in this interview he said the only four cities which he could see it being in were New York, Boston, Chicago, or um, London, because those are like the four big cities that have mm-hmm. big marathons which in and of itself is funny because you have to qualify to run in those marathons mm. like you have to run a marathon and then get a a low enough time to qualify uh for the marathon to begin i don't know if that's the rules in london but i know i know in new york and i know boston you definitely have to qualify yeah um and i think new york you do as well no yeah i think you're right because i i remember I, i worked with a guy who was racing in like another race in order to try to qualify mm-hmm. for one of those Boston or New York. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why the, the Marine Corps marathon's always been called the people's marathon because they're like, 
you know what? We They give you like lenient times and they're like, you know what? Do it. Just make your way across the finish line. And you, that's the one I ran. Like, and that's why. So you actually, because I knew that you had, you've done the, the tough mutter yeah. things. I didn't realize that you actually ran a marathon. Yes. Uh, um, ran on my, it was precisely to the day on my one year wedding anniversary. My wife and I ran it. Oh, and, wow. Uh, yeah. Together. Um, wow. Yeah, we crossed that finish line hand in hand. Would not I would not leave her side. Um and it was actually her idea. She wanted to do it. You wouldn't leave uh, her side or she wouldn't leave your side? I wouldn't leave her side. Oh, okay. I okay. I, I'm not now see the thing is I'm not like trying to like puff myself up here, but like there were there were various points where like when we were in training and everything, she's like, You can run faster than I can. I'm like, No, the point of this is we're doing it together. It's a, it's a whole thing. Yeah. But um that's cool. But like with the Marine Corps Marathon, their whole thing is they don't you know, there are people who run it to win it and they run it for qualifying times and everything, but that is not the the that that's not the gist of it. They're like they don't care if you jog the thing. They don't care if you can walk it fast enough, you know, knock yourself out, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um but anyway, sorry to you know, it, it's it's uh it's just that I know that the other marathons, I remember while we were training, they were like, oh, no, you have to qualify and get, you'd have to get less than, you know, was it like four hours to run the Boston Marathon after running this one? It's like, what, seriously? And they're like, yeah. It's like, wow, that that's not going to happen. Yeah, that's uh, that's a pretty fast uh, race right there. I, I don't it's know. 26.2 miles is a lot longer than you even think it is. It yeah. really is. No, that that was like the one thing in the movie where I'm like, I thought they did it like extremely well, where they like <laughs> really build it up. Like, look at him; he's done such an amazing job, and he's like, I don't know how much longer I can go. How much longer do I have? And he's like, Oh, nothing. It's just you know, nine miles. And he's like, What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. There's, yeah. It's 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 a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Uh, cool. I will never run one again, though. I ran one, and I'm done. I will. Yeah. I've done many other crazy things, but I'll never do that again. It's. I think it's just awful. But uh, <laughs> yeah, actually, you know what? I, I will give them credit that it is. It is funny when uh, his friend is there by his side, and he's like, "Oh, you just got nine more miles to go." It's like, oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's that's impressive for sure. Yeah. Um, well, looking at, you know, kind of like what it was that, that Simon Pegg did do, you know, this, this mm-hmm. Michael Ian Black interview that I read was kind of very telling in a lot of ways. Now, you sent me like a message after watching it saying like, uh, I need to look into what's going on because, you know, you hear Simon Pegg rewrote someone and your first thought is like, well, then how good could it really be? You know, yeah. he's working with someone, he's fixing something that had a problem maybe, you know, who who is this other writer, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, that was kind of the impression that I left you with, I think. And then you said, like, you know, something to the effect of I didn't realize that he was rewriting Michael Ian Black. You know, if that's usually a, a combination for success in, in, in a lot of yeah. ways. Um, so you're, see, I'm not that familiar with Michael Ian Black, honestly. Uh, he's very funny. He's, I, I don't even remember how I, you know, figured out who he was or I saw him appear somewhere and I, uh, I used to follow him on Twitter and everything, but the guy is just, he's whip smart, funny. So Mm -hmm. like 
seeing his name attached to it, I mean, it's surprising enough seeing Simon Pegg's name attached to it and not getting a laugh out of it. But then seeing Michael Ian Black, like the guy, uh, you know what? It, uh, Michael Ian Black, he's probably most famous, unfortunately, for constantly appearing on those VH1, I love the 90s. Oh, really? I remember the 90s. You, you remember those things? Yeah, yeah. He was on those all the time. It was like him and Patrice O'Neill were the two regulars. And uh, he was hysterically funny in those things. That's I, I think that's how I actually uh, discovered who he was. So, again, seeing his name on it, I would have figured, even if the movie stank on ice, I would have expected with these two names for the dialogue to have been like, you know what? It was a crappy movie, but there were some really funny exchanges between people. Yeah. You know? And it, that, that wasn't there. Yeah. In this interview, he he talked about you know which he 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 did this to promote the movie you know and and they said okay you know well, what what was the deal you know you originally wrote it you know it was going to be set in America you know and he was saying that yeah it was originally supposed to be in America in New York or whatever which I think is where he's from mm-hmm. and he wrote it and this says a lot honestly he said that he had been doing like a lot of weird sort of indie things at the time and more as a writing exercise than anything else he wanted to try to write something formulaic something which was like a safe studio Mm. picture and he was like okay romantic comedy that's good you know what's like what's a funny scenario and he's like opposites you know like uh, you know, a fat guy running a marathon, you know, it's the juxtaposition there. That seems like it's good, you know, run, fat boy, run. That's where he came up with the the, the thing. And he set out to, to make it, you know, mainstream. And he said that when he finished writing it or whatever, you know, his goal, he had two, one of two goals. One would be to direct it himself and the other mm-hmm. one would be to sell it to a studio for a ton of money. And he said he didn't mm-hmm. either. He sold it to <laughs> a, a studio for a little bit of money. <laughs> um, but he sold it to, yeah, a British studio. And, you know, then they, you know, British-sized it with, uh, you know, Simon Pegg became involved. David Schwimmer, who's actually, I think, from Chicago as well, he became yeah. involved uh, and as the director. And they... You know, Simon Pegg came on to to star in it, and then he rewrote it. And basically, his big contribution to it was that he, you know, anglified it or or whatever. You okay. Know? He, okay, he, so he made it so that like his interactions within the city of London made sense, right? Okay, he gave it that sort of more British sense of humor, I think, in a lot of ways. I don't know. I mean, th- that that sort of thing. You know, he, okay. he Black said that the story the story is almost identical to what he had written. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that very few things had changed. Uh, the you know one of the things that he mentioned was um, the the Indian landlord mm-hmm. with with yeah. the with the daughter. Yes, in Black's script, it was an Italian landlord with a much younger wife. So, uh, I mean, that's not that, a big change at all. You know, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's basically sort of a, just like, yeah, it, it's, but I mean, it's the, almost the, the way that Black had it is more of that sort of New York stereotypical trope than right. And so he, so 
yeah, so Peg just turns it into the London version of that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. You know, I mean, so I mean that, that I mean that that's the type of thing that he was doing, you know. Okay. Um, but uh, he said that the ending was a little bit different too. But Black also said that he thought that the changes that uh, that Peg made were for the better. He said that he thought that the ending was improved, and he thought that the jokes were funnier. And he was very complimentary of Peg. And he, you know, when when the interviewer was asking him, like, what did you think about a skinny guy like Peg being cast in the the lead? And he's like, oh, I thought it was great because he's a really good actor and a really funny guy. You know, it it was weird because like he, he basically said, you know, they were like, were you involved at all? You know, and he said, no. I wasn't. I went to the set for a week, you know, just to say, hey, and then, you know, Hmm. walked away. But they all did their thing and without me. And, Hmm. you know, they they kept on sort of like asking him, like, are you happy with it? Did it turn out the way you wanted to and everything? And he was very complimentary of everything that was done and saying, yes, it turned out as well as I, I could have expected. It's, you know, very happy with the finished product. Yeah. And then the the very last question is, um, now that you've had this experience and it's been a positive experience, are you more open to the idea of writing things and then selling them and let some letting someone else you know make movies based on your original ideas? And his response was, no. This experience made me not want to do that. I don't want to write something, sell it to someone, and then come and sit in a hotel room four years later and talk about, you know, this movie that's coming out. I want to be there for the whole process. Okay. So that yeah, is interesting. Pretty telling. <laughs> it, it is kind of telling, yeah. especially since, like, he was doing... I mean, this was, you know, part of, like, the press tour, I guess, for this movie, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, he's not going to throw them under the bus, you know, but reading it, I, I really did get the impression that he did like the finished product, you know. But perhaps it wasn't exactly the way that he would have done it, even though he was sure. happy with it. Even if he thinks it was better than what he would have done, I don't think that it's what he would have done. Okay. But yeah, but, I, I'd say, I, that, I mean, that sounds fair. I, you know, it's. Uh... <laughs> I mean, I do think it's funny if he's giving the whole interview. Oh, yeah, no, it's great. These changes are wonderful. Let's go. Oh, yeah. No, I liked all the choices they made. Would you do it again? Nope. Not at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that is pretty telling. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, it, it is interesting, too. I mean, I think that that might be part of the whole experience, you know, from going back to the beginning of this this project for him, where he said, I want to make a studio film, you know, and that's part of the process is, you mm. know, sometimes letting go and letting the studio make the studio film, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so so that, that interview, I mean, I think is sort of telling as to what Simon Pegg did with this. And, you know, those things that, to me, I mean, yes, Simon Pegg's movies are very funny. He's a very funny guy, and, you know, he, he he's he's good at, at one-liners and whatnot. But to me, like you look at uh, Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead, and from a writing perspective, what I see as being like really uh, standout about it is how they work on a conceptual level, how mm-hmm. they work like structurally and all this yeah. stuff. And it it's almost like you could 
do all of that groundwork, hand the outline to someone else, and they could write the dialogue, and it it would almost be, you know, the same thing. You'd still see that brilliance coming through. Whereas here, the opposite occurs, and sure. while Simon Pegg is good at telling jokes, it's not you're not getting the full peg. You're only getting half a peg. Only if that yeah. makes any sense. <laughs> 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 only getting half. You know what? See, the thing is now, if uh, Star Trek Beyond goes sideways in any way, you've planted that line in my brain. And I'm like, <laughs> I only got half a peg, and I'm just going to trot that out. If I if I don't like Star Trek Beyond, yeah, uh, yeah. So I like I didn't see any interviews um, speaking to this specifically, but did you find anything about you know why Peg agreed to do this? Was this just okay? I've made it, and they've driven a dump truck of cash up to my front door, and they want me to do this. So okay, I'm I'm a star now. So sure, was this they cajole him in some way? You know, like I, I'm. I didn't find anything where that really gave real insight as to why he agreed to do his part with this. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't know. I mean, you know, he looking at, you know, some of the other stuff that he has written, he's done some things like, uh, um, you know, writing English language adaptations of, you know, foreign animated movies and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know. Like, he's, he's done that sort of thing before. So, I, I, I mean, I, I just... I don't know. I mean, to me, I think it could have been that, you know, Mm -hmm. it could have been that he he thought that this was, you know, kind of interesting or it could have been. I think this is probably most likely that, you know, he read the script and was like, that's good and agreed to sign on to do the movie. And then they said, like, well, we need to change some things. And he was like, oh, well, I'll do that, you know, which is kind of similar, I think, to what's going on with Star Trek, you know, where. I mean, oh, that's like, that's a great point, actually. We, we, You're right. I mean, he's told the story, and I think we've probably told it here where, yeah, you know, he was on the set of Mission Impossible five. Is it five now? Yeah, five. Yeah. Rogue Nation was five. Yeah, he's, he's on the set of Mission Impossible five while all of the writing turmoil was going on and director turmoil and stuff. And Brian Burke, who's the producer of both is there talking to him about it. I'm assuming both as a collaborator and as a fan and as someone who knows how to write stuff, you know? And Simon Pegg is like, well, what you should do is this. What you should do is this. And Brian Burke says, yeah, how about you do this? You got all these great ideas. Why don't you just write it for us? (laughs) And he's like, why? Sure. You know? But I, you know, I almost get a sense though that the the difference is that he came in and he, I don't know, polished. He, you know, he didn't totally blow up Black's script. Yeah. He, you know, he he reworked parts of it. Whereas, uh, and I mean, I don't I don't know this for sure, but like, haven't they done sort of a, a, a like they took it back to the bones and then rebuilt it again for Beyond? Didn't they? Yeah, I, I was under the impression that it was a page one rewrite, you know, okay. well, not even rewrite, just a, a new story, you know, a completely new thing that d- doesn't have anything to do with the other thing, you know? Yeah. Um, but but then again, I don't know, because IMAX just r- released a, a press release a couple days ago 
um, saying that Star Trek Beyond is going to be in IMAX, which everyone knew because that's why they moved the release date was to clear open and get it into IMAX screens. Um, but in that press release, they list the writers as Roberto Orsi, J.D. Payne, and Patrick McKay, and Simon Pegg and Doug Young. So huh. that to me, I mean, who knows? Obviously, it's not final, and maybe the press release is going off of old data, although since it is like a bad robot, like Paramount, yeah. IMAX, pre- you'd think that they'd get the credits right, right? Maybe it's a contractual thing. I don't know, yeah. but they're still officially crediting the writers of the last script, so who knows? Yeah, but Jack means. B. Soward's got uh, got that credit for Star Trek Two. Well, you know, and, I, uh, I don't know because I like I asked um, John Tenuto about that because he's read like every single draft of Star Trek Two, literally. You know, and I'm like, yeah. how would you credit it? You know, if you were in charge of the arbitration or whatever, what would you do? And he's like, well, I'd probably do like story by Harv Bennett and Jack B. Soward's screenplay by Nicholas Meyer and Jack B. Soward's. So okay. he, his, he, is, he deserves credit on Star Trek too. It's just that Nicholas Meyer probably does too. Definitely does too. <laughs> I, I'd say I, Nick Meyer had something to do with how good everything was. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Good, but even though point. like Meyer is the one who put it all together, like the stuff that he was putting together, like a lot of the stuff in that script was, you know, Soward's. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, okay. But may, maybe it's that. Maybe maybe it the could be. Uh, maybe the the whatever planet killing weapon or whatever that they're dealing with was from the original script and they just rewrote everything around it. That could be. I mean, it happened with I think it was a Star Trek 4 or Star Trek 6, one of those where there were a couple young kids who came in and, you know, did some work on it and then they threw out their draft but they're still, you know, credited. I mean, that stuff happens all the time. But yeah. who knows? Um, but yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, I, I kind of have a feeling that that's what's happening with Michael Arndt being credited on the episode seven screenplay. By yeah, the you know, I'll, I'll be very interested. It'll take a long time for that to get shaken out. Yeah. But, uh, I, I, yeah, I'll be very interested to find out exactly because there's no way they're going to keep that completely under wraps. They can't, I mean, yeah. I don't think, and I don't think that they would keep it under wraps in a bad way, or that it's necessarily anything bad. But I suspect that when we get a commentary yeah. from Abrams, you know, on the Blu-ray or whatever, he'd be like, "Okay, so you know, here's what we did when we came in." So, and maybe we'll get that as well as part of the eventual presser or Blu-ray or whatever from Peg when uh, Star Trek Beyond has been out. Yeah, yeah. Sooner or later, all of these stories will come out. It might take a few decades, but we'll hear them all eventually. <laughs> here's here's hoping it's all in the retrospect of thinking about, oh, what went so right with these movies? Yeah, how yeah. they overcame such adversity in filmmaking to make this <laughs> instead masterpiece. Of, instead Much of like to Star Trek out. Two, right? You know? <laughs> yeah. Instead <laughs> of like the Star Trek insurrection thing, which... <laughs> yeah. It's hilarious because like, you know, we've been talking to some people and everything and we're like, oh yeah, well, we'd love to have you back on the show to talk about whatever. And like three people now have been like, have you done anything on insurrection yet? And I'm like, sort of, you know, everyone wants to talk about insurrection because I think they want to talk about like how it all fell apart, you know, yeah. and, <laughs> which yeah. is really interesting. There's a book about it, you know, I mean, 
which is cool. Anyway. Yeah. Well, it's not an official book yet. Yes, yes. But it will be. It will be. I, 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 I certainly hope so. Yeah. So, okay, so that's that. Um, any any uh, final thoughts on... on I, I You Run know Fat what? Or... I will say that I haven't left a review uh, for Run, Fat Boy, Run. I've toyed with the idea because I still... I still love the fact that uh, Festival in Cannes, this guy right here, I, I still have the only review on there. But I, I wasn't moved to quite the same level of uh, outraged waste of time that that moved me to. So, uh, you know, I, you know what, though? I'm, I'm not going to bother trying to look for the positive. Don't bother seeing this movie. I'm sorry. You will just regret that hour and 44 minutes gone from your life. It's I, to me, it's not horrible. It's just bad. You know, I, I watch a yeah. lot of movies, a lot of them against my will. You know, it's just sort of the nature of things. And I've I've seen a lot of really bad movies. And this is definitely not one of those. This is definitely just a not very good movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's not it's not a reason to see it. But uh, if you if you do happen to see it somewhere along the way you won't you won't flip out and shoot your television yeah it's not yeah. that bad no it's just one of those movies that you watch and go like eh i didn't yeah. quite make that one work you know it's yeah. it's a very average movie i would say that this is at about the quality level of most movies hmm Maybe not most movies that you watch. Certainly not most movies you try okay. to watch. But I see. Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. It is yeah, definitely okay. about about the average movie level. Sure. In okay. terms of quality. All right. Well, it's been fun talking about Run, Fat Boy, Run today. But this isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week. So here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm. Standard Orbit. They just happen to come at just the right time. Right, or just, just the, wrong the right time. time for it to be dangerous. Like literally, like not even like that day, but like like two minutes before <laughs> this happens. Earl Grey. Well, it does all those cloak experiments. It deployed that communications array. Minefield. And the minefield for exploratory purposes. <laughs> Let's not talk about the Defiant, because you know it's just going to upset me. The Ready Room. Here's one more thing I want to throw out here for you guys. Recasting this episode, because I know you guys like to do this on To the Journey with things, with mm-hmm. series and such. I think that Ma'ab should be played by Will Ferrell. to the journey okay i know tristan's gonna pick that one and he's gonna pick that one so i'm gonna pick this one (laughs) yeah this this one has a really nice balana moment so i'm gonna leave that one for tristan right (laughs) of course you pick it every time and i know i can rely on you commentary trek stars now i feel like i have to see the wicker man to get all of the jokes that are in this movie which one the original or the remake why would I watch anything with Nicolas Cage? The 602 Club. I, I remember hearing Timothy Zahn, even back then, reading an article that he was listening to the John Williams uh, scores in his car as he was thinking all this through and, and making sure the pacing felt like it did with the music. So maybe it had to do with the certain music he was listening to. Maybe he was listening mm. to a New Hope score at that point. I don't know. Literary Treks. I think we had between the three of us half a dozen or eight springboards and they were written in such a way that 
they could have gone to either ship and crew. It was like, you know, the Sagittarius encounters big blob in space or Endeavor encounters derelict spacecraft. Or, I mean, I'm being real surface here. I mean, the, 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 the prompts we provided in the Bible were probably just a couple of sentences long, and it was just meant to say these are the kinds of stories we're thinking about. Women at Warp. So we went in and pitched, and I have to say that was one of the most terrifying experiences of my life. I have scrubbed in on brain surgery. It did not frighten me as much as go as waiting outside Gene Roddenberry's office getting ready to go in and pitch to him. Meta Trex. That would have just been a grand moment if, uh, you know, George Takei would have played Tuvix, you know, and, and when the transporter accident happens, he's standing there in those colorful clothes and just says, oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you want to help us out... Uh, and, you know, do some Christmas shopping at the same time, you can go to the Trek FM store on Redbubble and, uh, you know, buy some cool merch. Yeah, a lot of cool merch. There's a lot of great stuff on there. Yeah, I'm wearing some of it right now. I've got my Trek FM hoodie on. Represent. It's actually very comfortable. The printing on it is very good. It's I, a high-quality garment. It, 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 it is. You know, sometimes, you know, you kind of have to wonder about these, you know, like made-to-order things, and it's like, uh, what am I getting? Is the pr- This I was, I'm extremely impressed by. It is yeah. very nice and warm. I'm in Chicago where, you know, even though it's mid-November, it's snowing like crazy and, uh, you know, all nasty. Envious. I'm envious of the snow. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I loved the snow before I started driving, and now I hate the snow. But see, the snow, if it were that cold, it would be a wonderful excuse for me to wear my Trek FM sweatshirt. There you go. You know, that's why I want the cold weather to show up. But if you're not in a cold climate, you can get a Trek FM t-shirt. That's true. You can get actually a car decal, too, with Mm -hmm. the Trek FM logo. I want to get one of those. Yeah. Yeah, me too. There's a lot of stuff on there that you can get. Check it out for yourself. Go to trekfm.link slash trekfmstore. You can even get a shirt with an enterprise on it, a word cloud, an enterprise word cloud, and it says commentary Trek stars in there. It does, right in the saucer section. And I'm trying, I'm trying super hard to get Aaron to make a a Citizen Kane of Star Trek shirt. <laughs> so if that's something that you want, let us know. Please let Demand us know. Demand it. Demand it so that I can get it for myself. Cuz that's all that matters. All right. So yeah, if you want to check that out, go to trekfm.link/trekfmstore and that'll take you to the website. Good stuff. Good stuff. Just in time for Christmas. Yeah. Uh, another way that you can help us out 
uh, is by becoming a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trek.fm. If you want to contact us, you can fill out the form on trek.fm slash contact, or you can leave us a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. You can find the network on Twitter at trek.fm. You can find the network on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. And Facebook is also where you can find the Babel Conference, which is our listener forum. Just type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trek.fm and click the discussion tab on the menu bar. John, where can people find you on the internet? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Kessel Junkie. You can find me on another podcast called Words with Nerds. And you can actually find me uh, writing the occasional review on uh, a uh, site called Showvote, uh, where I'm doing the Star Wars Rebels Season 2. And also... Uh, this weekend, we'll be releasing a uh, a uh, retrospective on planes, trains, and automobiles, and its place in the American humor, uh, the halls of American humor. Cool. I've never seen planes, trains, and automobiles. What? I know. What? Okay? Look, Come there's on. a lot of movies that no. I haven't seen. No, that, this is worse than not seeing Tombstone. This well, is th- I, I imagine that's accurate. It's the Citizen Kane of John Hughes movies. Really? Yes. This is this is John Hughes's finest hour, John Candy's finest hour, Steve Martin's best film performance. Not a bad note, not a sour line in the entire thing. It's Planes, than- Trains, and Automobiles, and it's a an actual Thanksgiving movie. You can actually watch it on Thanksgiving weekend. It's not. Uh, you know, a holiday ahead or anything like that. It's it's a wonderful film. Yeah, no, I mean, there's there are definitely some good Thanksgiving movies out there. Um, I hear that this one is is a quality one. I, I, I the like the quality one. I, well, like I mean, to, Rocky is a Rocky Thanksgiving movie. Starts Thanksgiving. By the way, yeah. I've, I've 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 found this out. Rocky, the very first scene, yeah. first thing you see on screen, November twenty fifth, nineteen seventy. Mm-hmm. That's forty years to the day um, before the release of Creed. Yeah, it's that crazy. can't be an accident. You know they did it on purpose. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, yeah, I mean, Rocky is is a Thanksgiving movie for sure. To me, my two favorites. Uh, number number two is uh, Zach and Mary. Uh, that that one have it, not seen that. Oh, it's really good. It's really you good. You know how I feel about Kevin Smith, Mike. It's it's definitely one of his lesser works. You know, you kind of feel like he's just basically just making a comedy for comedy's sake, even though it is really sort of all about the making of Clerks, which is kind of cool. And sort okay. of, you know, this same theme that we keep on talking about, like, you know, living up to your full potential, following yeah. your dreams, you know, going out and doing something. So that that's 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 my number two. My number one is Contagion by Steven Soderbergh. You know, you know what my I've never seen Contagion. Oh, that's uh, awesome. But you know what my number one is? What's that? Uh, well, I mean, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is, but my number two is uh, is actually Predator Two. 
Oh, that's a Thanksgiving movie? I, well, <laughs> no, it has nothing to do with Thanksgiving except for when it was released. It was released on Thanksgiving? Yes. I, I, I recount the whole story on, on the uh, Words with Nerds annual Thanksgiving celebration of giving thanks as to why it's a Thanksgiving movie for me. Which you can find right now, right? Yes, that's right. It's Excellent. out there. Go and listen. <laughs> well, if, if, you're, if you're looking for me, uh, you can find me right here on Trek FM doing Standard Orbit for like three more weeks. And then you can find me on CommentaryTrackStars.com doing Commentary Trackstar Babies. And you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. You can find the show on Twitter at ComTrackStars. And you can email us if you want to contact us directly at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. And I don't want to let you off the hook, but the you guys uh, for for standard orbit, you you guys are going out guns blazing, man. the The recent one about Phase Two, mm-hmm. wow! Like seriously, you guys are just all cylinders. You have got this. If anybody has not taken the time to listen to this this uh, farewell tour for standard <laughs> orbit, I guess for the for the original hosts of standard orbit. Like you got to get out there, you got to listen to it. This the phase two one is just so cool, so oh. cool to listen to. Well, thanks, I appreciate that. Yeah, thanks man. for listening. Yeah, that was sort of, of the goal. We were like, let's just do it all. Yeah. Uh, I still want. I don't know how it's going to work out. We have to figure this out. We got like three weeks to figure it out. But we do want to pull a millennium on Norm and Jeff, where <laughs> we end it with basically making it such that there's no way to continue the show after we leave and have them try to figure (laughs) out, have them pick up the pieces and be like, well, I don't know how we're going to do an original series podcast anymore because now there's no more original series, (laughs) you know, like they're literally, they, they somehow wiped it out of existence. How are we going to do this? You know? But we have to figure out how that is going to work. I I, I look forward to that. If you have any ideas, if you have any ideas, you know, let me know. Send send me a note on Twitter or something. As I slip into my turkey coma, I will uh, (laughs) I will put on my thinking cap. All right. So yeah, that's where you can find me. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor, who helps us bring commentary trek stars and all of our other shows to you each week and our sponsor for this show is audible.com audible is a great way to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for john what book do you have for us this week well you know i i thought it would be fun um since there is no novelization that i know of for run fat boy run uh since everybody should be uh you know prepping getting the right frame of mind for star trek beyond um I think that uh, people should ham- amble on over to Audible and listen to the uh, the adaptation of Star Trek Into Darkness, uh, yeah. written by Alan Dean Foster and narrated by Alice Eve. Mm-hmm. Pioneering director J.J. Abrams has delivered an explosive action thriller that takes Star Trek into darkness. Mm-hmm. When the crew of the Enterprise is called back home, they find an unstoppable force of terror from within their own organization has detonated the fleet and everything it stands for, leaving our world in a state of crisis. So you can go, you can listen to it. No, 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 you got to finish it. Oh, okay, all right. With a personal score to settle, Captain Kirk leads a manhunt into a war zone world to capture a one-man weapon of mass destruction. As our heroes are propelled into an epic chess game of life and death, love will be challenged, friendships will be torn apart, 
and sacrifices must be made for the only family Kirk has left, his crew. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Sorry. We've decided to uh, read that description for the remainder of Standard Orbit (laughs) because it's the best ever. It's taken from the initial plot synopsis. Yeah. And it makes no sense whatsoever. (laughs) It's the best. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Commentary, Trek Stars, and the network. All right. Well, that is it for Run, Fat Boy, Run. And next week, we will be back to look at Simon Pegg's fourth movie, one which he wrote with his good friend Nick Frost, and that is Paul. <laughs>